thank you. It's been a great day already in the Lord's house. I pray that you've been blessed as well. What a time of worship. Amen. So thankful for the presence of the Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us. Be preaching today to our fathers, on our fathers, about our fathers. If you have your Bible, you can turn to multiple places. The scriptures are listed there in your bulletin. I won't be focusing on just one passage, but if you want to turn somewhere, go to the Gospel and uh, Luke chapter 15. I'll be uh, referencing at least one verse from there. But I want to talk to you today on the subject, what's a father good for? Are fathers necessary? For all of recorded history, the need to explain why fathers are necessary would have been regarded as well unnecessary. It's like explaining why water or air or sunlight is Necessary for life, but we all know that we live in such a time in which the obvious is routinely denied. There have been articles in the most prestigious journals questioning the importance of fathers. For instance, here's one on the screen. The Atlantic Magazine, for example, has printed an article titled, Are Fathers Necessary? Quote, a paternal contribution may not be as essential as we think. The wonderful bastion of truth we know as the New York Times <laughs> has published a discussion among five intellectuals which they called, What Are Fathers For? One of them who contributed to the discussion, a lady named Hannah Rosen, she's an editor, she opened her response by stating, quote, I am not sure whether a child needs a father, end quote. Even now, we see that the woke radicals are demanding an end to Father's Day and Mother's Day. Yes, we've got to burn down the patriarchy. Why? Because they say it, quote, reflects a more archaic and traditional view of family. In fact, one article said, that they suggest we adopt the terms family day or parent day to be more LBGT inclusive and use non-gendered terms. With this kind of agenda coming from our cultural elites, it is no surprise that we see America crumbling around us. In fact, the data supports all of this as well. The 2020 census data revealed, listen to this, that 17.8% of the United States household featured married parents with children under the age of 18. That's the lowest it has ever been, or at least since the census started keeping track of that stat. So what's the takeaway? Well, translation, families, traditional families are dwindling. Why is that? Well, because birth rates are also in a steep decline. Listen to this. According to Pew Research, about half, 44% of young adults age 18 to 49 say they don't want children. Two of the most cited reasons were. One, we don't want to make the sacrifice for children. And two, it's a dangerous world with an uncertain future. Translation, kids are messy. They're costly, they're inconvenient, and moreover, the world is so dark and depressing, 
who would want to bring a child into this mess? Friend, aren't you glad that your parents' generation didn't have that cynical way of looking at things? And yet that is the natural result of a worldview without God, without morality, without structure, without hope. The Journal of the American Medical Association has also reported that, quote, across the population, men today have less testosterone compared to men of the same age a generation ago. In other words, men are getting wimpier. Men are less manly. No longer are they the men of John Wayne, Rambo, and Arnold, right? This is the generation of the Peter Pan syndrome where you have boys that never grow up. They just live in mom and dad's basement wearing their SpongeBob pajamas, playing computer games all day, and not getting a job and being productive. While their age may say that they are adults, emotionally, intellectually, they're still 15 years old. Dr. James Dobson, the one who's been on the forefront of the fight for the family in America for about 40 years now, he said this recently in an interview. He said, quote, The breakdown of the family in all its many forms has been and continues to be the single greatest travesty this country faces. When you look at almost every other issue, whether it's violence, promiscuity, truancy, drugs, divorce, even anxiety, he said it is almost always goes back to the erosion of the home, which is accelerated by dropout dads. Years ago, a man was a rebel if he never settled down, if he lived on the wild side of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Today, if a young man wants to be a rebel, then surrender your life to Christ marry a woman, raise a family, and bring them to church. That's truly rebelling against the status quo of today. You may have already figured it out, but in this message I want to address that question that is being raised by our culture. What's a father good for? What exactly does a dad do? Dads, by the way, are an endangered species these days. But they are the difference makers in almost every metric of success, not just for the child, but also for society as a whole. We're living in a world that tells you your pronouns are interchangeable and that you can decide what you want your biology to be. You just think it and reality will magically realign itself according to your whims. That's hogwash. We need men. We need dads who will invest in the lives of their kids, who will be husbands that will love their wives as Christ loved the church, and men of God who will stand up against the garbage and the filth of our culture and stand for truth and holiness and justice and cover their children and cover their family and their community with righteousness. What is a father good for? (laughs) Well, I want to give you five attributes of fatherhood today taken from all over the scriptures I want you to see first of all number one fathers are for love and I take this from Luke chapter 15 if you're there drop your eyes down to verse 20 and let's read and he arose and came to his father but while he was still a long way off 
his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, this is taken from Jesus' famous parable of the prodigal son, which I think you could probably retitle to be the parable of the running father. The parable is just as much about the wayward, sinful lifestyle of the son as it is the extravagant and abundant love of the father. And this verse that we read here captures that heart-wrenching moment when the prodigal son finally arrives home after his season of wild and sinful living, and there he is greeted by his father. And I love that image. Perhaps the father is sitting out on the front porch on the rocking chair. He's looking out over the homestead, and he sees the winding road coming back home, and there comes a figure over the hill and down the driveway, and as his eyes focus in on that, and he recognizes the gait of his son and the silhouette of his child, he gets up, he hikes up his robe, and he runs full blast with love and joy and forgiveness. He, He jumps out of that rocking chair, and he meets his son halfway along the road back home. And that parable is meant to be a picture of God's unconditional love towards sinners who have lost their way in life. Praise God, we have a father today. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've been, God never stops loving you. There's nothing we can do to make God love us any more or any less than what He has already demonstrated through the cross of His Son, Jesus Christ. Friend, even when you were uh, living with the pigs and you were covered from head to toe in slop, there was a heavenly Father who still loved you in your mess. And friend, it's the limitless love of God that draws you to His presence. The prodigal's father is an example, dads, of how we are to model God's love to our children. It's been said this, If a child is to know about God the Father, he must see something of God in his Father. Amen. Amen. We hear a lot about mother's love, and we should. But dads, don't discount the power of a father's love. You know, boys and girls both need the love of dad. Boys need a father's love for their sense of identity. There are so many Broken men out in the world today. If you ask them, they would say, I never one time heard my daddy say, I love you, son. And do you know what that creates? That creates men with an inferiority complex. That creates broken lives. Boys wandering around trying to find significance and achievement or earning money or driving the biggest, fastest car or being better than the other guy, they're trying to fill the void because they don't know who they are. Their dad did not help them establish a sense of identity. Boys need to know that their father loves them and that they don't have to earn dad's love by achievement or by academics or by athletics. And that even if that young man fails, dad still loves him. The porch light's still on. The door's still open. You can always come back home, son. I will never stop loving you. Girls need to know a father's love as well, but for a different reason. Boys need it for identity. Girls need it for security. You see, her self-esteem hangs precariously on that relationship 
with her father. He's the first male to hold her hand. He's the first male to kiss her. He's the first male to tell her she's pretty and hopefully the one who will walk her down the aisle one day. Girls without a father's love will search for any kind of male affection they can find out in the world and many times they will go looking for it in all the wrong places. The first young boy who takes notice of them, who pays them any attention, the first boy who tells them what their heart longs to hear, they'll be attracted to that like moth to a flame. Girls need a father's love for security and boys for identity. Every son is looking for a dad to help define him. Every girl is wanting a dad to protect them. There was an incredible story that was published of all places by NPR about, listen to this, a San Diego father whom they wanted to keep his name anonymous so they just called him Frank. Frank's son became a homeless heroin addict living on the streets of Denver, Colorado. Here's the headline. A father feared for his son's life, so he joined him on the street. Listen to this. The father, Frank, feared that his son might overdose or be murdered. So he did something drastic. He started calling homeless shelters and churches in the Denver area asking if anyone who worked in the street ministries knew his son. Sure enough, he found a promising lead and Frank flew to Denver from San Diego. He took up the homeless lifestyle to find his son and after several days, Frank found him and then followed him around helping him forage for food, even sleeping with him in the parks. Frank told his son and the one who wrote this article, Son, I hope you realize how much you are loved and that it's time to come back home. If you die out here... Your mother and I will die with you. I don't know if there was a happy ending or not to that story. The article did not allude to that. But wow. Whether you think what that father did was right or wrong, that's a real life illustration though of 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Whether you had... A godly dad or a lousy dad or no dad at all, we can rest in the fact, friend, that we are infinitely, unconditionally, sacrificially loved by the Heavenly Father. And if you're wandering through life today feeling like you don't belong, feeling like an orphan, I want you to know there is a Heavenly Father. He flings the doors wide open. He says, accept my son and I will forever adopt you into my family. doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what your background is. I want you. That's what God says to us today. And if you're a dad today, what a reminder to us that no matter how young or how old your kids may be, they never stop needing your love. So we see, number one, fathers are for love. Then we need to see, number two, fathers are for limits. Fathers are for limits. Now this is not the popular part of the message. Proverbs is where we take these principles from. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Verse 12, for the Lord reproves him who he loves 
and a father the son in whom he delights. Also Proverbs 13 and verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. My daddy loved me a lot. <laughs> but he who loves him is as diligent to discipline him. Fathers are for limits. These two nuggets of Solomon's wisdom here teach us that one evidence of a father's love for the children is the fact that he's involved, that he sets rules and boundaries and enforces discipline. Boy, something like that will just get you canceled on Facebook. Do you know God does this for us as our Heavenly Father? He gives us choices. He gives us rules. He gives us consequences. It's all spelled out right here in this divinely inspired book called the Bible. And those principles in there are like guardrails on a curvy mountain road. We're grateful for the guardrails when we slip on some ice or when we're going too fast around a curve. God's rules are there for our protection. They're there to maximize blessing. They are there to add value to our lives. God is not a cosmic killjoy who wants to ruin your life with all kinds of medieval probations. He wants to bless your life. That's why he's a good, good father, because he sets limits for us. He goads us to righteousness. He enforces discipline. And how many of you know that we need a little bit more of that today in modern America? The first years of a child's life, they can learn lessons by applying the Board of Education to the seat of understanding that otherwise those lessons will not be learned later on in life except through much heartache. I would rather cause a little discomfort to the backside of one of my children for getting out of line than to have them stand in a lineup one day of offenders and to have to talk to them through plexiglass at the local jail. God help us to understand the need for fathers and limits. And the whole point, friend, of fatherly discipline is to teach our children that there is right and wrong. There are disciplines, there are consequences, and there is a final authority, and His name is God. And if you don't surrender to His authority, you'll have to answer to Him. What's the result of that when fathers are absent? When fathers check out, when fathers abrogate and say, well, I'll just let my wife raise the kids. I'll let my wife teach them the Bible and pray with them and take them to church. I will just earn the bread and bring home the bacon. What's the result of that? Well, I think we're living in it, aren't we? You know what you get when dads are absent and they don't enforce limits? You get Black Lives Matter Incorporated marching through the streets of America, burning down businesses, chucking bricks in windows. You get Planned Parenthood where abortion is in overdrive. You get full prisons that are overflowing. That's what happens when there isn't a dad there to pull out a little bit of leather and show some discipline. You know what the National Fatherhood Initiative says? Listen to this. Boys who grow up without a father are 20 times more likely to commit a crime and end up in prison. And girls are 7 times more likely to have an abortion. That's when dad's not there to give limits. By the way, while I'm on this soapbox, 
There's too many parents out there who want to be their kid's friend. God didn't send you into their life to be their friend. They need a parent. They need somebody to teach them right from wrong. They need somebody to pray for them and protect for them and provide for them, not to be their buddy. You do a good job raising your kid. You invest in them. You see them grow up to maturity and become a fine, upstanding individual. Then you can be their friend. But in the beginning, there's got to be discipline. There was a country music duo a few years ago. They may still be singing. Their names are Joey and Rory. They have a song. The title of the song is Bible and a Belt. I'm not going to sing it for you. But I do just want to read the lyrics to you. You listen to these lyrics and you tell me if you had a dad like this. And if you did have a dad like this, your heart will rejoice. Here are the lyrics. They were both made of leather, both black and frayed and worn. I was brought up to respect them since the day that I was born. One came from England. It's been handed down for years. The other was ordered from a catalog in Sears. One my mama read to me until I was well into my teens. And I thought the other one was used to hold up daddy's jeans. Till I told a lie. And learned it had another purpose too. Out behind the shed my daddy said this will hurt me more than you. Because one day one had daddy's name on it. The other said King James. And with love they taught us lesson, but we feared them both the same. One led us to heaven, and the other let a whelp. But those were the days when kids were raised with a Bible and a belt. Don't you think we need to go back to the basics? And stop telling our children the foolishness of a lost and godless culture. And get back. To God's infallible, inspired word that leads to righteousness, blessing, and life. Thank God I had a dad who was involved enough and loved me enough that when I stepped out of line, he let me know, hey, there's a standard, there's a way, there's a God, and I love you too much to see you make a disaster of your life. Thank God for a dad like that. Fathers are for limits. Fathers are for love. But then I want you to see also this morning, fathers are for learning. Fathers are for learning. Ephesians 6 and verse 4 is where I go for this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now that word training, it's a word that is pregnant with meaning. It's actually the Greek word... Pedia. It is where we get our word pediatrics. It doesn't just entail discipline. But training that includes the whole spectrum of child rearing. This could include everything. Not only from a spiritual standpoint and a theological standpoint. You open the Bible and you train them in the word of God. But it also entails all the practical stuff. Teaching them how to tie their shoes. Uh, saying please and thank you. How to change a flat tire. This is training, right? It makes me think of the Saturday morning cartoons, watching Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny, you know, Foghorn Leghorn. I say, I say, I say, I say, pay attention to me, boy, when I'm talking to you. 
That was an impersonation of my papa, by the way. He talked the same way. And he always had a way of getting you to do work. He'd say, hey, come over here. Let me show you something. And then he'd hand you a tool, and he'd show you what to do. And then you'd start doing it, and you'd walk away, and you'd say, where'd he go? <laughs> He's sitting under the shade drinking lemonade. In other words, dads are supposed to be the child's first teacher. We are the Jedi Master, and they are the Padawan Learner. I just showed you how much of a nerd I really am right there, didn't I? But when we're young, you know, when we're young, we think of our dads as so out of touch, so old-fashioned, so back in the past. And yet, when you finally get some living under your belt and you begin to get a little life experience, you realize dad was right about everything. Amen? And some of you whose daddy, bless their hearts, have gone on to be with the Lord, wouldn't you give anything to be able to pick up the phone today or sit and have a cup of coffee with dad and get dad's take on politics or dad's take on, hey, what kind of oil should I use? Or, hey, dad, uh, come down here and help me. I'm going to buy a new lawnmower. What do you think? of? You see where I'm going? We think we have it all worked out. Then we get a little bit of age on us and you realize, you know what? Daddy was right. But we live in a culture of entitlement, don't we? Where everybody gets a participation trophy and if some of our politicians had their way, you'd get a free college tuition on top of it. But what a wise father does, according to Ephesians 6, 4, is they begin to train their kids in every way, not just spiritually but also practically, because they realize, having lived a little bit in this world, that nothing is going to be handed to you. And even if, we know that now, the government gives you free money, you're going to pay for it later. Amen? We need dads who will take up Ephesians 6, 4 and say, Young man, young woman, one day you're going to have to learn how to stand on your own two feet, and I won't be there, so listen up, I'm about to teach you something important. Heard about a young boy. He just got his driver's license. He asked his dad, who happened to be a preacher, if they could have a talk about using the family car. So dad and son sat in the study. Dad said, son, I'll make a deal with you. You bring your grades up. You go get you a job. And you get your hair cut. And we'll talk about how you can use the family car. Well, about a month went by. The boy came back, met with his dad. He said, Dad, can we talk about the car again? Yes, let's do that. So the dad said, Son, you've done really well. You brought your averages up to A's and B's on your report card. I'm glad you got you a job down there at the grocery store, bagging groceries. You're earning the value of a dollar. He said, But son, there's still one more thing. It's part of that deal, remember. You had not got your hair cut yet. Well, the young man kind of waited around and he looked at his dad and he said, wait a minute, dad. He said, dad, I, I've learned a lot because I've been reading the Bible more and I've been thinking about that hair thing. He said, you know, a lot of the great men in the scriptures had long hair. Samson had long hair. Moses had long hair. I bet even Jesus had long hair. And dad stopped him right there and he said, yeah, son. And they walked everywhere that they went. <laughs> 
Some of those lessons never leave you, do they? I still shoot free throws. The way my dad taught me to shoot free throws, and some of you have seen me shoot free throws lately, which I need to go back and practice. But I still shoot them the same way dad taught me in the driveway. What did your dad teach you how to do? He'd teach you how to drive a stick shift. He'd teach you how to build a birdhouse or how to throw the perfect spiral, how to, how to cast a line. Maybe he taught you how to swim or how to strum a guitar or how to shoot a gun. You know one thing I'm grateful that my dad taught me how to do? My daddy taught me how to pray. There were several times when I would awake early in the morning and I would catch my dad in these little holy moments where he would be in the living room and the Bible would be open and, and he would be reading and he would be praying. And even as a young one, I felt like maybe I was intruding in on something that was holy. Did I just back away and watch? If there's a great piece of advice I could give you today, dads, let your children catch you praying and reading your scripture and having your time with the Lord. And I'm thankful today that one of the good things that came out of the pandemic was that me and dad started meeting. And Clifford started meeting with us and we started to pray. And I'm thankful today that every Wednesday night I get to yoke up with my dad and I get to pray with my dad every week about the life of the church about sick people in the church about things going on in our culture and I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world we don't play golf we don't go fishing much but one thing we do is we pray together you can't put a price tag on that fathers are for lessons and fathers are for love and fathers are for limits, but I'm not done yet. Fathers are for laughter. Right? They do have it termed the dad joke. <laughs> right? The, the joke that's so corny. It's so bad it's good. I will save you from my dad jokes, but don't forget, dad, to create as much fun and laughter as you can in your home. I know, I know making a living is serious. And I know what's going on in the world is is dire at times, but if you will let laughter flood through your home, it will echo for a lifetime. Friend, we are building a museum of memories for our children, and one day I want them to be able to go into that museum and pull a trophy off the shelf and laugh and say, Man, Dad, (laughs) he was one dorky guy. But I love him. Amen? I can remember some of the things Daddy would do. He'd take us to the beach and he'd get in the water with us and he'd, he'd throw us into the waves and we'd have those boogie boards. And I can remember one time going trout fishing with my daddy out in Rosman and casting a line and it landed bink, right between his feet. And I pulled a dancing trout out for, right out from under his feet. I'll never forget it. As, that's a one in a million thing. I can remember when it would snow. Oh, Dad, come out and, and sled with us. Oh, that was a time of their life. Going sledding with Dad and then he'd come in and you'd have hot chocolate or Dad would cook something on the camp stove. Some of Dad's yeast rolls or apple pie. You've sampled, you know. Oh, man, it was so good to grow up. 49 Sands Branch Road. 
How many games, Dad, did we play in the driveway of Pig or 21? And every son remembers the day they finally beat their dad. Right? Just got a little bit of peach fuzz on their face and they think they're some big banny rooster because they beat their dad. But yet, no matter how tall you get or how above your dad physically, you'll always look up to him. I joke with y'all all the time about the, the challenges and the chaos that erupts in our home. We are a three-ring circus <laughs> in the McCarson household. But don't get it twisted. We, we have so much fun. I get, I get in the floor with the kids and, and we wrestle and, and, and sister calls them slam fights. Daddy, let's have a slam fight. That's where you just get on the floor and you roll around and you... You just wrestle and have fun. We jump on the trampoline and we ride bikes. I've almost killed myself 50 times trying to learn how to ride a Razor scooter. <laughs> We've got chickens and cats and dogs and we'd have more animals if we had more land. We build campfires. We, we turn the music up loud and sing and dance. Why? Because you'll always have bills and you'll always have deadlines, but you're only young for a little while. We are still that family that has dinner together. We sit around the table. What was the best thing about your day, children? What did you do? What did you learn? What did you see? My kids have gotten to this point where they, they love to play practical jokes. They got these little uh, plastic insects. And they love to put the little insects inside your shoes. There's nothing like putting on a sneaker in the morning and finding a, a toy ant or something in there. And then, oh my gosh, I'm so frightened. And this to hear the laughter, right? Daniel, he's a big practical joker. Clifford, here comes one. Are you ready? Daniel found an old black snake skin. In the woods, and he thought it would be funny to take that snake skin and coil that in the seat of Clifford's lawnmower. <laughs> I'm glad that pacemaker's working, brother. Uh, I wasn't there the day that the cat brought a live rat into the house and let it go, and the, the rat just. You have to get Caitlin to tell you about that, but I got a text. You got to come home now. There's a rat in our house. It's fun, right? Don't lose sight of that, Dad. At the end of the day, they don't care how much money you earned. They don't care that you bought them the latest, greatest. They don't care that you were the top seller in your company or that you were big. They don't care. They want to know at the end of the day, Dad loves me. Dad's fun. Dad's good. What else are fathers for? Fathers are for leadership. They're for laughter, learning, limits, love, and leadership. Joshua 24 and 15. I've got to finish this. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites in whom whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, say it, church, we will serve the Lord. 
This is Joshua's final challenge to his generation and the men of that time before he passed. You know, dads, we all face that same decision today. Will we lead our families in the way of the true and the living God or will we lead them to a path of destruction? It's a decision that determines destiny. And men, we can't pass the buck to our wives or to the schools or even to the church. Could you imagine how this one decision, if men made this decision, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, how that couldn't change the entire direction of the country? Jails would be emptier. Homes would be happier. Marriages would be stronger. Churches would be fuller. And children would be better. Listen. Dads, moms, your child has less than a 1% chance of being a professional athlete. Your child has less than a 1% chance of being some celebrity, but they have a 100% chance of standing before a thrice holy God one day. And I as a dad want to be able to say, Lord, I did all that I could with what you gave me to lead them in the way, the truth, and the life. And the day's coming when I will no longer have the title pastor. Right? My ministry's got a life expectancy on it. I don't know when that will be. God will tell me. The day's coming. I won't be your pastor anymore. That's a sobering thought. You know, there's a lot of guys who sacrifice their family on the altar of ministry. By the way, the church is Jesus' bride, not yours, not mine. The day's coming when I will no longer be pastor. And all the people that I ministered to, chances are they're probably not going to come and minister to me. But you know who will be there? Caitlin, Daniel, Abigail, and Lydia. And I want them to look back and say, Dad wasn't perfect. Dad loved the Lord. But at the end of the day, I know... That my daddy loved me. And he didn't choose the church. Or he didn't choose ministry. Or he didn't try and put himself in some sort of celebrity status as a pastor. Where I lost touch with him. Because the day's coming when I will have nothing but memories. And I will still want a relationship with my kids. Because they didn't choose ministry. They get to go along with it. Because that was the choice that God made for me. But I don't want them to grow up to be bitter, angry church kids who grew up in a pastor's home and, and got turned off a of church because dad lost sight of things. This past week, I, I heard the testimony of, of Phil Robertson. He was on Focus on the Family you know that before he was the patriarch of the Duck Dynasty Empire, he was, quote, in his words, listen to this, a scumbag and a heathen who only cared about smoking dope and getting drunk. Soon after he and his wife Kay had their two sons, their first two sons, here's a great parenting decision, Phil bought and ran a tavern. Kay watched as the man she loved descended into alcoholism, drug abuse, and infidelity. 
Phil's hard drinking caused him to disown his family. He said he didn't want them anymore. Kay remembered, I would tell my boys at this point in our life, that's not your daddy, that's the devil inside your daddy. During their time of separation, Kay started going to church where she heard the gospel and was gloriously saved. She still loved Phil, wouldn't stop praying for him, hoping that God would soften his heart to the gospel. Phil remembered this at his lowest point. He said, quote, There I was, a miserable drunk with no hope and no family. I was less than a man. Kay eventually talked Phil into meeting with her preacher. Phil agreed, and as the preacher began to explain the gospel, he said, I didn't even realize who Jesus was. This was my first time hearing about the love of God. I was too busy, selfishly living for myself, smoking dope, getting drunk. And I was blown away, he said, that Jesus could love a filthy alcoholic so much that he would die for my sins. And that day, in his bar that had been closed down, Phil Robertson gave his life to Jesus Christ. He remembered his prayer. God, I'll run wide open for you. As wide open as I ran for the devil for 28 years, I'm going to run for you. He was so excited, he called Kay and told her, bring the boys to the church. She remembered, Kay said, there I was standing in the church. We were all crying tears of joy. Phil was in the baptistry. And he looked down and he said, boys, today I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm turning from my sins. And when Phil went down under the water and came up, the boys screamed, Daddy's saved! Daddy's saved! My daddy's saved! Phil said, That was the greatest day of my life. Not only did I make my peace with God, but we became a complete family. My wife got a new husband, and my sons got a new father. Amen. Our musicians are coming. We're preparing for a time of invitation now. Dad, I don't know where you stand with the Lord today. Maybe you need encouragement. I'm here to pray for you. Maybe you've got a prodigal son or daughter and your heart is broken over them and you're weeping inside. We can pray about that. Maybe you say, Derek, I, I, I had a terrible dad. I hate my dad. and You can forgive your dad. And you can learn how to let go and love your dad through the power of Jesus Christ today. Maybe you say, Derek, I, I'm clueless. <laughs> I don't know the first thing in the world about being a dad, but I want to be a good one. That begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and we can have all that happen today at the altar as Preston leads us. Will you please stand and whatever the need of the hour is, as the Spirit speaks to you now. Let's listen to what the Spirit of God would have us to do and be obedient.